meet me at the museum with Alan and Daniel. We'll talk about the Cardinals all night long. Everyone come gather round, listen to your favorite sound. We'll talk about the Cardinals all night long. We'll talk the games and all the rest about the team that we love best. We'll talk about the Cardinals all night long. And we welcome you to another edition of Meet Me at Mutual. I'm your host, Daniel Troptal, C70 at the bat, at C70 on Twitter. With me, as always, Alan Medlock from Red Dirt Red Bird and A Medlock One on Twitter. We have had a run of guests since we kicked off 2021, and this week is no different. We have Brendan Schaefer from KMOV with us. Brendan, how are you doing tonight? I'm doing good, guys. So I, I want to make sure real quick that I'm in the right place. Is this the one where I get really drunk and take my shirt off, or is that a, is that a different different podcast? That You're looking for prospects after dark. Oh, um, is that? Okay. Down the corner and to the left. Okay, my um, bad. <laughs> since we're audio... We don't care. Um, you know, I, you know, we're not going to ask you your state of dress or undress. So fair enough. <laughs> uh, okay. Uh, Brendan, uh, let's start out as we have with some of our other media folks. What was it like? How well crazy was it trying to cover the Cardinals in 2020? Oh, it was, it was tough, man. And it was kind of an evolving beast because it really started out not knowing whether there'd be a season to cover at all. And then the questions kind of floated to the extent to which we'd get to cover. And so ultimately getting to at least go to the games and, you know, being in the press box, be in the stadium when there really weren't very many people, Cardinals fans that got to do that. You know, it was, it was cool. It was kind of surreal to, to be there knowing that not a whole lot of people at the end of the the season would be able to say that they were. Um, But, you know, I'm, I'm glad they were able to figure out a way to have the season to have some sort of media presence. And I'm hopeful that uh, 2021 will be a little bit different, might be a little bit more toward uh, it won't be totally normal, but I'm hoping we'll get back toward the norm. Um, by the end of this year. Did they have the piped in noise there or was it really just almost dead silent? It was was there and it was weird. Like it was like, didn't bother me when I would watch a game on TV. But when I was there, it it got in your head, like in in moments where it was getting down to the nitty gritty of a game and you were trying to figure out exactly which story you were going to have to write. Is this going to be a winning story or a losing one? And something about the artificial noise you're like this is just i can't even hear myself think like it was it was a different kind of loud it was i mean it always gets loud there bush but this was different it was like i know you're not real and because of that i am bothered by you so i, I did not like it being in the stadium i'll, I'll gotta admit yeah that would be a, a little bit i mean it was yeah it's kind of like you said on on for us sitting at home it was occasionally you'd forget that oh yeah there's no buddy actually there to make that noise but once you thought about it then it was it was gone and you had to really kind of adjust yourself um so yeah like you said hopefully this year is much better this year is going to have a little bit of a different look 
on the roster um, because John Mosley decides to do all his homework on one week. How <laughs> how crazy was it for you trying to figure out stuff to write that wasn't just the Cardinals need to do something from you know end of October until the end of January? Yeah, you know, at first we had at least like, okay, it looks like they're going to go a different direction than Colton Wong. What does that look like? But then from there on, and when I'm writing stories and when I'm interacting with people on Twitter, it's like, guys, I, I know that this is the time of year when we typically are talking about the, you know, what moves could they make, but it seemed pretty clear that their direction was pretty well set. They were looking to bring back the two legacy players and Wainwright and Molina, but they said at the very beginning, that's going to take some time to figure out, be patient. And so when John Mozeliak says, be patient, January is the new December, we all think, oh, okay, that means it's going to take a while. They're hoping to be able to sign these two, but maybe because of their need to be patient, it, it couldn't work out possibly. Like what's going to mm-hmm. happen here? It wasn't even a thought that they would go and finally do the Arnado deal, which credit to them for keeping us off the trail. Cause I mean, it just wasn't, it felt like if we would have started talking about that beginning of November, I mean, we would have been laughed off of social media. You know what I mean? Like there just, it just wasn't even something that seemed realistic or plausible. Uh, but then as, as it developed and as you find out, Oh, the Rockies are going to pay for his salary this year. Oh, okay. You start to see how it's going to be able to happen. <laughs> yeah. That's, it's crazy because, Whenever the uh, the first kind of hint that there was any Rosenthal talk, or Rosenthal, any Arenado talk came out, it was that like midnight tweet from uh, Rosenthal. And I looked at it and I was like, oh man, not this again. Then I was thinking, man, that's him. You know, that's a pretty good source this time of the year, you know, for him to be coming out. And then by the time you get back and you were watching anything on MLB Network the next day, it was it was all over. And you kind of felt like, Something may honestly be happening here. You know, that was a Friday and you kind of, uh, and you, you kind of thought, nah, there's a little bit of movement. Was there any point in the off season where you thought the, the uh, option not being picked up with Colton Wong and the slow play of Molina and Wainwright was potentially just a bandaid being ripped off and things were about to change? Yeah, man. I mean, I, I got the sense from that very beginning of, uh, like the end of season press conference when they talked about Colton Wong. And I got the same vibes that I got about Marcelo Zuna when the Cardinals gave him the qualifying offer, didn't give him anything after that, didn't pursue him, nothing. And Ozuna would have liked to return on a one-year deal. And the Cardinals, they never made that overture after he declined the offer. It was like, oh, thank goodness he declined it. Now we're getting our draft pick. I felt not that the Cardinals were getting a pick out of this, but I felt that you know, it was going to be a similar deal where they were going to decline that option and they weren't really going to pursue him after that. And I was like, you know, it's disappointing because, and, and while I understand that Tommy Edmond is a quality player and can play defensively wherever and he could fill in and be 90% Colton Wong, I didn't think there was any reason that they had to take him out of the role that he was in just because it was cheaper. But I, I totally seemed the way that it was going. And for a while this offseason, people would ask me, and I said, I think they'll get one uh, or the other of Yachty and Wayno. I, I don't think they're going to get shut out completely. But I wasn't sure because at any point in time, either of those guys with the offers that they had could have said, 
I'm I'm going. I'm taking this because the Cardinals haven't given me an offer or they haven't given me the right offer, and I'm not going to wait around forever. So I got to take what I can get here. If that would have happened, I don't think it would have been a shock if either of them would have felt like they were in that position and gone for it. And then maybe the Cardinals would have to scramble and get the other guy just to not get shut out of the offseason. I thought that was certainly a possibility. But then it all started to fall into place at the same time. And I think looking back on it, it kind of makes a lot of sense that Cardinals were interested in both these guys. They wanted to keep them, obviously. But little did we know behind the scenes, they were they were working on something pretty big and they had to see where all the payroll pieces were going to fall before they could slot in Wainwright and Molina. Do you think or do you know if they gave either one of those guys, well, if you gave one, you gave both, knowing how they talk to each other, uh, any sort of heads up like, you know, hey, we know that you've got other offers, but we're working on this. Um, because again, I, you know, there was reports that that Wainwright had had an offer from San Diego, and that's a very attractive offer. The way that they've upgraded their team, when you know, it looked like at one point in time that the Cardinals were doing nothing. Did they have to kind of maybe get loop them in a little bit to make sure that they were interested in staying? I don't know for sure whether that happened, but it sounds super plausible, doesn't it? Like. Mm-hmm. The fact that you think about these two players that have been with St. Louis for as long as they both have, the relationships that they have individually with John Mozeliak and the ownership in the front office are, you know, high up there. Like there's there's a working relationship there where I feel like those kinds of conversations could have very plausibly taken place. And I mean, certainly by the time it was all kind of getting reported and then Wainwright's doing his Zoom to you know, basically announce that he's signing back with the team, and when he makes a comment like, you know, these guys they know what they're doing and they're working on something that's going to potentially make a lot of people pretty happy. That was the moment where it's like, oh wait a minute, he didn't <laughs> say that. He didn't say that with a hey, they're going to bring Yachty back voice because it was like, no duh, no no. This was you just felt like it was something different. You didn't know for mm-hmm. sure, but it sure felt like, man, there's something something in the air and then you start to see the reports that I believe it might've been Joel Sherman. I forget who specifically, but I think it was him who said, yeah, Cardinals players have been talking about this for uh, in recent weeks. (laughs) It's like, wait a minute. So clearly the veterans on the team and then a couple of the veterans that weren't yet on the team again, but were obviously going to be resigning. They definitely had an inkling. And I think when, when you come to those guys that say, Hey, you know, the offers come in, we don't know the exact amount yet. But it's coming, and and here's, you know, and of course, Wainwright's deal got done first, so it's not maybe exactly on that timeline, but I think you're you're definitely onto something with, these guys are plugged in. They when, when Yachty did his Zoom, he said, you know, the question was, have you talked to Arenado yet? And he said, talk to him. I've been talking to him for two years. So <laughs> they clearly, you know, knew this guy had the potential to come at some point. They wanted him there, and then once it fell into place, it was like, all right, we're we're getting the rest of the band back together, and we're making a run at this thing. Yeah, knowing everything that you just said, I my, my question was going to be, are you a little surprised that this has st- stayed as quiet as it did? I know that historically the Cardinals have, have their reputation of being so quiet is well known and that not very many people know when there's a move in the works. But not only the players talking about, you know, amongst themselves for the past couple of weeks, Matt Holiday talks about knowing for, you know, t- two to three weeks. He's He's been on several outlets and said the same thing. And it just makes me it, – it's funny how something that big going through the players was able to stay so quiet. Uh, was this – did this 
this one had to be had the shock value, but where did you have any inkling of a Goldschmidt move when that move was made two years ago? That's a good question because when I was when I back then I was, you know, that off season I remember writing a few different articles that was like mock trades and then I'd do a trade poll based off them. And Goldschmidt was one of the ones that I did that that off season. And if I recall correctly, Carson Kelly was actually in the one that I did. So it wasn't like, you know, I I knew that they were going to go make that move, but I thought, okay, this is plausible and it's plausible that the Diamondbacks would want this or that. Like it felt like there was some some movement behind the idea that Goldschmidt was going to be traded that off season. The difference with Arenado is the fact that we've done the boy who cried wolf thing multiple times yeah. and thought, okay, they're going to, you know, they want this guy. Maybe this is when they make a run at him. And then that can happen so many times before you finally have to step back and be like, okay, it's going, it's going to enter believe it when I see it territory, because it just doesn't seem like, and really that wasn't an indictment of the Cardinals. I think it was, if anything, an indictment of the Rockies, just not knowing what they wanted. They couldn't, it's like they couldn't make up their mind. Are they going to, build around this guy or are they going to trade him and, and, and reset their organization based off this deal? And they went for so long that I, I, at the end of the day, they really did neither. They didn't build a, around him because they got rid of him and they didn't probably get the kind of return that they could have gotten a couple of years prior. So it's a benefit to the Cardinals that they were patient. They didn't kind of just let at some point, let frustration get the better of them and say, all right, we've been at this for 18 months we think we can get this deal done. We're going to overpay by a little bit to do it. They totally just played hardball. And at the end of the day, the Rockies sank themselves and Nolan Arenado is a Cardinal. It's crazy yeah. to think about. Yeah, it's nuts. We, you know, Daniel and I had talked about just doing some show preps for a couple of weeks and Arenado was never rotten up, bought up, but I did, I would always talk about Jose Ramirez and thought that may be the low hanging fruit type move they could probably make. And I'd be willing to let Gorman go in a situation like that. So Daniel and I talked about that, so that'd probably be pretty fair. And to see this move, you're thinking, okay, well, the names haven't been brought out yet. That's probably someone they're going to get, they're going to lose, especially if Colorado's going to take money. You hate to use the word heist because that is such a detriment to the guys that left the Cardinals organization to go to Colorado. But it is pretty unbelievable how the situation fell into place. Yeah, I mean, you look at some of the names that we talk about when we're doing our, you know. Twitter conversations and people are thinking about these trades happening. And, and I was getting questions like, you know, you think they'd really trade Dylan Carlson or Nolan Gorman or Matt Libertor? I'm like, no, none of those guys are moving. And I felt pretty confident in that. Like once it started to come into focus that this could actually happen this off season, I said, it's going to, it's going to be a heist in favor of the Cardinals. If it ends up taking place, because you look at some of the other big names that had been traded, none of mm-hmm. none of those teams had to give up their top prospect. So yeah. I'm looking down the line and thinking, all right, no Ivan Herrera, none of the the infielders we mentioned, no Matt Libertor. Uh, I was thinking, like at one point, I said Zach Thompson could be like the the the, the crown jewel of a package. I could see that maybe, but then they end up going a, a kind of similar route with Austin Gomber, a little bit more proven guy, and I think. I think Gomber, it's going to be exciting to see him get an opportunity, uh, presumably, to pitch in their starting rotation because he really came on strong last year. And I think that is a a loss to the Cardinals pitching depth that they do have to be at least a little bit aware of because before it felt like, all right, I know you've got these question marks around the rotation, but gosh darn, they had so many arms. I think they're just going to be able to throw another arm at 
the problem if they need to. So that is one element that you kind of have to be cognizant of if you're the Cardinals. But beyond that, I mean, Montero felt like a perfect name to put into the deal because you mentioned having Gordon ahead of him and, you know, the fact that you're trading for Arenado, who is known for his defensive prowess at third base. So it's not like you're worried about him having to move off of the position. So perfect fit to, to give them one top 10 prospect in Montero, give him an arm, and then uh, no no disrespect to the rest of the guys, but they're more throw-in type names to get that deal done. Uh, yeah, it wor- worked out pretty good for the Cardinals. Mm-hmm. Uh, that it, it was a t- it's just a timing thing. Like the fact that they were geared up, thinking they were going to be saving payroll, but they had this one possibility in mind, and they basically, I mean, if you look at the the terms of the deal, it seems pretty clear to me that they at, at every turn said, "All right, Colorado, we're willing to do this or whatever, but we're going to need this from you, and we're going to need the money in this year because we're you know th- they did it all and." at every turn it really did come out in their favor you probably you probably may not maybe it's something if the cardinal and the cardinals and rockies play to ask austin gomber then but you know most of the time when people come to st louis they don't have this choice um but for a guy like gomber he leaves a team that you know now especially looks like a very strong contender to go play for an organization that's less entirely stable perhaps um definitely not a contender especially when you're facing the dodgers all the time but he gets to pitch like you said on a regular basis are the are players like that more interested in the opportunity or do you think there's some regret of leaving it behind a a situation that might have been really good well you know i think part of it is when it's not your choice to make it makes it a little bit easier to adapt to your situation uh, I'm sure that he would have loved to have had the opportunity to become a regular on an every year basis as like entering a season. I'm Austin Gomber. I'm one of the Cardinals top five starters. And, and that's kind of the expectation, but because of the squeeze they had with so many of the arms that were kind of coming from a similar place as him, it seems like, and, and with the exception being not only Colorado because of their organization feels like it's in shambles, but because it's Colorado and that, that's a tough place to pitch. It, other apart from that element of this, I think it uh, hopefully is being viewed as a as a positive opportunity for his his career path because he, even with the quality job he did last year, would he would he have been guaranteed to come into this season? with a job in the, in the starting five. No, I think he would have had to fight for it with guys like Ponce de Leon. What's the status of Carlos Martinez? Are they going to make Reyes a starter again? Like there's all these names at the back end of this rotation, potentially that he still would have had to have competed with. And maybe through no fault of his own, he still could have gotten boxed out once again. And at this point, he's been a guy who's gotten his feet wet in the major leagues for multiple years. And at some point you just want to be able to be given the ball and, and get a chance to show what you can do. Uh, kind of reminds you of maybe like Marco Gonzalez, another lefty who mm-hmm. was n- never anything wrong with the guy, but for whatever reason, the Cardinals just always had guys ahead of him and he was only getting opportunity in like spot start situations. They trade him and he becomes a guy who, who thrives with Seattle and then gets himself a contract. So I think there's precedent for that being a, a potentially positive thing uh, for Austin Gomber. And at the end of the day, you know, the more chances he gets to pitch to prove himself, that ends up being the opportunity for a contract down the line, uh, which is, you know, that that's that's a kind of thing that can be life changing for these guys. So uh, definitely, hopefully for him is, is being taken as an opportunity. Yeah, because if even even pitch, you know, reasonably well in Colorado, that's going to get some other teams very, very excited about him. 
You told me earlier today you have been approved to go to spring training. Um, what's that going to be like this year? We got the new schedule. You know, the Cardinals are only playing a certain amount of games in, a, in that section of Florida. They're not going to travel as much. Um, how is it? Go- how are you going to be able to cover these guys? Or have you even figured that out yet? It's definitely still kind of a fluid situation, um, but the you know the hope is that there Major League Baseball. Uh, it's been a few days now, but they they released basically saying there wouldn't be any media access until the first day of full squad workouts. Which then you turn and say, okay, does that mean at that point in time we would have some? I, the details of that are still being worked out. I know it's going to be different than it has been in previous years, um, but. It, you know, any ability to be able to to see what these guys are, are doing and, and, and if we get to, to watch the workouts, whatever, you know, whatever it's going to end up being, I, I'm i hopeful that, um, you know, it, it's it's better than nothing. And I think it will be. I don't mean to, to sound crass or anything like that. I'm just, I'm excited, really, even without knowing the full scope of what it's going to look like. Um, I'm appreciative that it seems like, you know, Major League Baseball, rather than saying, after this COVID thing, like it would be a, an easy excuse to box out media and not have any opportunities. And it doesn't seem like that's what they're going to do. I think they're legitimately working with um, media to try to figure out something that can work out well for everybody, which is, is, is awesome. Uh, don't have exactly a firm information on what that'll look like, but hopefully within the next week or so, um, start to get that hammered down because, yeah, the, the 22nd is the first day of full squad workout. So I am hopeful to be uh, – be out of this Missouri weather and down there by then. <laughs> uh, so, I mean, I guess it'll be a little bit surreal just because the last time you were down there, yeah, everything uh, flipped upside down. Um, what kind of, I mean, ob- besides the obvious stories that you're going to, you know, and everybody that is going to be looking at, what are some things that you are going to be looking at when you get down there? Well, it's always fun to be able to see some of the younger guys and the opportunities that they, you know, they've got to make the most of these opportunities before the games even start on the backfields, getting their work in, seeing how guys interact with, you know, and a lot of times in their hitting groups, you have veterans with veterans and you have the younger guys with the younger guys. And and there is some co-mingling, but not a ton, but just to see how they kind of adapt and react in those situations when you're on the same level playing field, essentially as these MLB veterans who've been doing this for so long and have made, you know, legitimately made careers out of it. And that's what you're striving to do. It's fun to watch those guys and just get your first glimpses of them. Uh, but really, I mean, I think the two big storylines that I'm curious about, you know, things that you're not really going to get a huge opportunity to definitively know much more about until the games begin, but that's the group of five outfielders, as I see it, on relatively even standing, now that Dexter Fowler having been traded to the Angels, uh, you know, you don't really have a veteran in that group. You have guys like Carlson, who you consider a top prospect, and you have a guy like Bader that they've given the center field job to before. But you've got other guys around their same age that are going to be competing for playing time and for opportunity. And given the struggles of that outfield as a collective unit in recent years, production is going to have to win out. And so that's going to be a fascinating kind of like five-way position battle for three spots, essentially, that is something that's going to begin in the spring and it'll continue into the season as, you know, I, I, I feel like it's going to be a storyline throughout the year. Um, and then the starting rotation, I mentioned it a little bit when I was talking about Gomber, but what does that fifth spot look like? There's a guy like Daniel Ponce de Leon who, uh, you know, 
I thought last spring before everything got shut down was right there with Austin Gomber as two of the best pitchers in the entire Cardinals camp. They both looked really, really strong. And then as the season got underway in July, end of July, Ponce de Leon was kind of thrust into a role late with the Michaelis injury uh, kind of cropping up right there at the start of the season. Didn't really perform to his expectation, I'm sure. Then you have the crazy shutdown. He struggles even more to the extent that he's sent back to the alternate site. And that was a guy who talked about in spring training last year, it was probably February, when he was talking about he doesn't want to be the guy riding the Memphis shuttle anymore. Well, he had to go to Springfield instead because there was no Memphis shuttle last year. And so, but the fact that he was able to come back and figure out some of the things that were going wrong for him, he looked tremendous down the stretch. He's a guy that's just got ridiculous stuff when he's on. And so he's, for me, when, when people talk about, oh, could he be somebody that's traded? Could he, you know, what would the Cardinals do with this guy long-term? Mike, I know he's not quote unquote, like a young guy anymore. He's been around for several seasons now, but he's got the potential. I still think if he puts it all together to be a, 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 not like a bottom of the, you know, scraping the barrel of, a number five starter. This guy could be a legitimate, like number three, number two starter if he could find that consistency. So he's definitely a guy that I'm I'm watching because it's been fun to see how his development has kind of gone up and down a little bit, ending on a strong note at the end of 2020. I want to see where it goes from here, and if it goes in a good place, that could end up uh, resulting in him with a rotation spot to start the season. Yeah, that's exciting to hear. Be just because when he did come back from uh, Springfield, he wasn't just a different guy. I mean, yeah, that's the the strikeout ability is huge in a rotation situation like that. It's uh, you may be in in it, it. I think that the pitching will be incredible this year, knowing that they're going to need to take so many guys to build back innings that y- you could see, you know, a possibility of seven to eight potential starters coming out of spring. I think guys are going to be really amped up knowing that there's going to be innings available. As far as the outfield goes, do you think there is now, I wouldn't say a lack of pressure, but do you think that the five outfielders can plug, can probably play a little bit freer now? Does, does Arnado do that to a lineup to where the production isn't going to be under a microscope like it has been in the past two years? Yeah, I think that's fair. I think when you have a guy like, Arenado that can just be a legitimate difference maker in the middle of your lineup and to pair him with a guy like Goldschmidt who already is that, but it helps to have more than one, right? So when you get that guy and and if he's able to stay healthy and play to his, his capabilities as everybody would expect, not only does it take pressure off of everybody else in the lineup, in the outfield, but you've got guys like like I, I th- and, and you asked about the outfield, and I'll definitely dive into that. But when I think about pressure coming off of a guy because of Arenado's presence, Matt Carpenter is an interesting name that comes to mind because I recognize that part of the, the trouble with that is, well, is he going to have anywhere to play? And that's definitely a fair question. But I just think about if, if he finds his way into the lineup as frequently as he can, and that would, would cause maybe Tommy Edmond to move into the outfield and things to get flipped around a little bit. But if he can say, hey, I, I no longer have to be like one of the – the guys on this team. I can just be a veteran player. I can do my thing and be able to, to to try to produce in the role that I'm in. I think that can help anybody in this lineup, especially Matt Carpenter. But let's talk about the young guys in the outfield that you mentioned. Uh, I, I think as much as the Arenado thing is an impact on them, just knowing that no one guy has to be the superstar, that you, you bought a guy to, to go do that. I, I think that the fact that there is no Dexter Fowler makes a difference too, because sure. there had to always be, and, and not to speak negatively about Fowler, because 
as I talked with uh, Ben Cerruti earlier today on the podcast I did with him, there's some element of Fowler was doing pretty good, and then he had that situation where he had to go home, leave the team, and came back and just wasn't the same. It's like he wasn't in baseball shape anymore. And so I I don't want to say, oh, he had a bad final season. That's why the Cardinals traded him. But when you think about just over the years, what his presence has meant, it's not like he's a guy who's sitting out very many days. Whether he was hitting or not, it was like Dexter Fowler is going to be given the benefit of the doubt because of the contract, because of the veteran status. For right or wrong, it, there's a lot of reasons for that, and it's just the, the reality of the situation. And so when you have these guys who are all, you know, it seems like age 22 to 25 or 6, whatever it is, they're all in that same kind of even starting spot to start this race when you come into 2021. And I think that's the the best part of it because they can kind of all be on a level playing field to where whichever guys play well are going to continue to get opportunities. And I'm sure there's an element of, you know, everybody's going to want that for themselves, but I think also it's going to push each of them to be better as the season goes along. Yeah, that's interesting. I could see Thomas having a, a pretty good spring. I mean, and he's a guy that may even be in the leadoff, you know, talk before it's all said and done if he has a pretty decent spring. It's funny, if you take out one of the five outfielders that are there right now and replaced it with a Fowler, Fowler, this would probably be the best roster for him to be a Cardinal because he could be that leadoff option in a fallback type situation. So now, not that I don't think the team's better off by not making that move. I just it's just kind of weird how things work out sometimes. Yeah, for sure. And and I mean, when you think about that move to, to trade away Dexter Fowler just by itself, like you're not getting anything back. You're saving a little bit of money. Clearly that's, I know it's been a priority for the Cardinals to be conscious of the budget, but clearly that's not the only thing they're caring about. If they're going and adding Arenado, which they know is going to be in a higher payroll in future seasons. So uh, the fact that they do trade Fowler, at first it was like, well, does that mean they're going to sign an outfielder? I really don't think it means that. I think it means that, and maybe at first I thought that could be a possibility, but the more I thought about it, it just seems like it's kind of commitment time. You know that there's nobody in this outfield that has been absolutely a bonafide stud and has laid claim to everyday playing time. But you've got a guy in Carlson who they feel like, they hope that he can be that guy that's a middle-of-the-order bat and so they're going to give him every chance to be it. But you mentioned Lane Thomas. It's another guy that the organization really likes. And last year was kind of a lost season for him because of the COVID situation and because of how impacted he was by the virus, even after he had already recovered from it. He just very clearly was not himself. And so they're going to try to give him opportunities. Justin Williams is a guy they really haven't seen because of the fact that he gets traded in July, comes into the team, has a good end of the season, but then when he comes in for the next spring training, he's not ready because of the broken hand. And so they really didn't get to have a good look at him that spring training, and then this spring training in 2020 gets cut short, and so you're still in a place where it's like year three of Justin Williams, and you're like, what do we have in this guy? So moving Fowler is just another space in that outfield where they can finally say, look, we don't really know how it's going to shake out. We assume over the course of 162 that somebody's going to get hurt. And so that's going to make our decisions more obvious. But then when those guys come back healthy and at the point at which we have all five ready to roll, and then you throw Austin Dean's name into the mix, which they're, they're going to give him opportunities in some capacity as well, especially in spring training, uh, it ends up just being a production battle. And that's what you like to see. And you don't have to worry about any pretense at that point. It's like, who's hitting? You're playing. Done. Sure, and there's some Williams intrigue, mainly because of the uh, he hits the ball hard, he hits left-handed, and he's out of options. 
you know, so there could be a, that, that could be an easy move to make if he doesn't perform. Yep. And, and I think that's, this is kind of the year where that's, you, you use the Williams example because he's had options, which is exactly right. But it's the kind of year that I could, I would, would you be shocked if any of the names except for Carlson and maybe I would say except for Bader, but uh, anything's possible, especially <coughs> now that he's in arbitration making a couple million dollars. If any of those names end up getting traded or moved by the end of, say, the calendar year, if not in the season, end of the calendar year, because it's like O'Neill won a Gold Glove. That's great. He also hit like 170. So, you know, what are you going to do offensively, consistently, to demand that glove to stay in the field? Especially, at, you know, I, at center field, they can get away with it a little bit. Bader covers a lot of ground. That's great. Left field, it's great to have plus defense, but you got to have a guy that's yeah. hitting in left field. You just have to. The corner outfield spots have not really been enough for the Cardinals of late. No, they're not going to go out and get anybody that they know is going to be that kind of star in the corners, but they're going to have legitimately four guys for two spots, and and potentially if Bader's not hitting, you throw Carlson into center or Lane Thomas into center, and, and then you have all three spots available for the guys that are going to produce offensively, which I think has a potential to be a lot of fun. I also see why it has the potential for people to right now as we sit here weeks away from the season to say, man, I don't know if the production from that outfield is going to be there. You were talking about everybody being on the level plane, which makes a lot of sense. But do you think there is any way that, I mean, because I think it would have to take a super spring from a lot of people, that Dylan Carlson isn't starting at least for a while uh, at the beginning of the season? No, I think he's – and that's that's what I wanted to mention. Like, yes, it's a level playing field, but he kind of does have that leg up just based mm-hmm. on the prospect factor and the fact that at his ceiling, you know, at any of these guys' ceiling, you think that Carlson's the guy with the highest one. And so I do think they're going to give him more run and they'd give him a longer leash of if he's not performing for a couple of weeks – I don't think it's going to be, okay, on to the next guy. Let's see what he's got right now and, and ride the hot hand. I feel like it'll be get him a blow for a day or two, but he's never going to be far from mm. the ability. He's, he's not going to get buried, right? We've seen some right. of these other guys riding the bench and get buried at times, with particularly Lane Thomas, which at times I think they should have been playing him more, um, mm-hmm. you know, especially back in the season when you had him in a Rosarena and trying to figure out, and then uh, Lane Thomas gets hurt, and so he, he ends up not – getting to finish out that season. Like there have been times where they could have given some of these guys more looks, but at this point, you know, they've done what they can to, to set themselves up to kind of be forced to do that in 2021, because there is no Fowler. There is no Ozuna, you know, those guys are gone. And now it's like, okay, we're going to put our money where our mouth is because we've been saying for a while, trumping these guys up and talking about the potential that they have. Let's see if any of it's real. And if not, you could see a drastically different, outfield in 2022 but for now this is the year to kind of make it happen and then if 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 we see that a couple of these guys maybe aren't part of the future then we can look to trade or free agency after the season uh when some more money comes off the books so it makes it a little bit more natural of a transition yeah it it kind of feels like that's what they wanted to do last year right before you know if if it had been a regular year they were going to try to give those guys as much champ and this past offseason we might have seen some of those moves. So they've just kind of kicked that down a, a year because of the pandemic. Yeah, I think that's probably fair. That, you know, and the fact that they were able to move Fowler, I think, is helpful toward being able mm. to come up with these answers in, in a more 
swift fashion because imagine if the pandemic happens and then you still have Dexter as part of that group of essentially six where you're like, well, there's no way Justin Williams is ever going to sniff the the field. I mean, he might not even sniff the roster at that point. So it's like, how do you justify all of this? And I feel like they didn't want to get into the position again where they had to trade Randy and Rosarena Jr. And mm-hmm. maybe have to deal with the repercussions of that. And so they traded the guy in Fowler who probably has the most stable floor of any of the uh, outfielders that remain on the team. But you kind of knew what his ceiling was, and it felt a little bit limited compared to uh, maybe what you could get out of these uh, other younger players. Is there – I know I've said it on the show a couple of times, um, and I don't know. It probably means it's completely wrong. But I was a little bit surprised – that Justin Williams didn't get more play last year with the roster turn. And I know the COVID hit the, maybe the pitching staff more than the offense did, but in a pandemic season, he gets what three, four at bats. Is that a pecking order thing? Or is that just for for the fact that, you know, that he had options and they didn't want to bring him up? Yeah. I'd have to go back and really look at the. I think it was probably timing. If I had to guess, if I were to look back and dive into it of, timing of guys they did want to get at bats for and timing of when the certain guys got COVID and, and when injuries Mm -hmm. cropped up and and things like that. I don't, I think it is a pecking order thing and it's an example that we've seen come back to bite the Cardinals in the past. When you mentioned the Rosarena thing, because for whatever reason they had internally decided that he was down in the pecking order compared to some of the other guys. And then when it came time to make a trade, that's the reason they traded him. I don't think – at first I thought, well, it must have been that the Rays just targeted specifically this guy because their front offices are geniuses or whatever. And they're like, well, this is the guy we got to have. But then after the season when Mosaic was asked about it, were there other guys in discussion potentially for that trade after a Rosarena goes nuts in the postseason? Mosaic kind of said – I haven't reopened my notes on that, so I'm not. It's not top of mind. But if I recall correctly, like no, we were discussing you know multiple possibilities of what that Libertor trade uh, could have looked like. And at the end of the day, Rosarena is the one that went. And so it's like, well, we, we got to make sure that doesn't happen again. And so I think that's kind of why. It, I mean, you you can look at a direct line A to B on that happening, and then the Cardinals saying, how can we prevent this? And their their answer is play them all in 2021 and figure out which ones are any good. Yeah. And it should be pretty interesting. Like you said, I think a lot of us have wanted to see that outfield get sorted out and one way or another, it it does feel like it's going to this year. Um, Who do you think might be the surprise of camp, either offensively or on the pitching side? Do you think there's somebody that's going to kind of force their way into maybe that 26th spot on the roster? Well, I know who Cardinals fans would love to hear would be a surprise of camp. I mean, you think you think about the fact that they haven't signed a guy that you like know for sure is going to be that, like, say, in the Tommy Edmond role this year, if Edmond's going to be primarily at second. Carpenter can play multiple positions, but I, I don't know that you're, you know, using him because you love his defensive versatility. So it's like, do they need that kind of guy on a roster when you've got Arenado, when you've got DeYoung, who plays most every game, uh, and you've got Edmonds' ability to back either of them up and slide Carpenter at second for that game. Maybe you don't. But what's going to be interesting to see is, and again, the guy didn't play, have the benefit of playing professionally in an organized setting last year beyond satellite camp. But the idea that Nolan Gorman is still a stud prospect, still has all the hitting tools that he had 
a year ago before Nolan Arenado was a Cardinal. What if this guy's bat just starts to dictate – again, not calling the guy Albert Pujols, but what if his bat starts to dictate in spring training? Because I'm sure they're going to give him lots of opportunities. If his bat starts to dictate that he needs to be in consideration, maybe not like in the far-off fantasy future, but like in 2021, even if it's not right off the bat, that would be super fascinating. Like that has the potential to be a really, really interesting storyline if he forced the issue with his bat. Whether he's going to to that extent, like it would be kind of crazy for me to predict that and say this is what's going to happen uh, right. given the the just the difficult circumstances prospects like him had to endure in 2020 when they didn't get to play games, uh, that would be a little bit off the wall. So I'm not, I, I'm taking your question a little bit of a different way, not predicting that it'll happen, but it would be really fascinating if it did happen because at that point, it's like they did with Pujols at the beginning. Who cares what position he plays? He's just going to have to come up and play second base, play the corner outfield. Like it doesn't matter. Like if he's hitting like like Albert Pujols circa 2001, that would be uh, really interesting to see. A guy on the pitching side, that I that I think could actually force the issue. I'm actually I'll go ahead and predict and say it, it, health health being uh, being equal. If he's able to stay healthy, Henesis Cabrera could be in a really interesting spot because I I don't know that he maybe maximized the opportunities last spring. Obviously, for everybody, difficult to to be able to say something like that because it getting shut down in the middle of it and you you don't really get to see what everybody's going to do and the role that they're actually going to fill. But when you think about the way the Cardinals handle starters coming into spring, they always have like a dozen guys. And then you kind of know right away, like, okay, sure, Ryan Helsley is coming into camp as a starter, but he's not going to stay that way. I feel like that's how they kind of looked at Genesis Cabrera last year. But I wonder if with if he performs like he did out of relief last year, if he is able to be that same guy coming into spring this year, and they've said to him, come in as a starter, could he be a guy that would like, vault himself up into that conversation despite all the difficulties with other names that are there that's the thing that might have to require and you wouldn't like to see this but i'd say it happens every year might require an injury or two from other guys in the rotation mix to get his name in there but he's the kind of guy that with the electric stuff that we saw last year i've always been a proponent of don't put this guy in the bullpen because you think he could be great there make him show you that he can't be a starter first. And that's why you're going to put him in the bullpen. Like, mm-hmm. you know, the, the Alex Reyes is kind of entering that point. Like, all right, we tried the starter thing for several years. Then we used you as a reliever and you were excellent. Maybe it's time to just let you be what you, what you can be in that role. I would like to see Henesis Cabrera. Like he's my guy this year to say, I would like them to, to give him literally every opportunity, not just to say he's coming in as a starter but to like give him every opportunity to actually be a starter because that could be really dynamic, the stuff that he brings to the table. Whether they're going to do that, I don't know. But I think regardless, his performance is something that I'm going to be looking for this spring uh, because he could certainly have – it had last year, but because of the nature of 2020, it might have gone a little bit under the radar, but he could legitimately become you know an all-star caliber of pitcher, and that could start in 2021 uh, with what he's able to do in spring. Well, that's it's interesting you bring that up. We I've spoken on here several times about how I think the Cardinals are guilty of pigeonholing these guys into relief roles too quickly. And uh, that's a great point that you make about Cabrera. And I had never thought about that. I was kind of guilty of thinking, nah, he's just he's a back end, you know, closeout guy, seven, eight, nine, you know, come out and get lefties or righties out. 
and it kind of leads me to a question. You know, Larusa and Matheny did this more than Schilt has done. Schilt seems to run out the starters because you know Michaelis had the uh, opening spring start a couple years ago, and then it was I think I may be wrong on that. It may have been Flaherty the last two years. I can't remember completely, but Matheny and Larusa would always throw those fringe guys in to get a start. If you remember, Rosenthal got a start. Carlos got a start before he was he was truly a proven starter. Is that a situation we can see this year to where we see a Cabrera get a start? Will we see a Helsley get a start? You know, if it, it's one of those situations in spring. I, I hope the answer to that with regard to Cabrera is yes. When it comes to Helsley, I think, and like this is just purely speculating and reading the tea leaves, but I think he's a guy that's, it's already he's already been marked. Like I wouldn't sure. be surprised. Yeah. I wouldn't be surprised if they told him if they didn't bother to tell him you're a starter coming into spring. He might just be a reliever now. Like that wouldn't. We haven't gotten to have those conversations really. Um, and and that's something that in prior off seasons, like we're talking, seems like there's winter warm up and there's things like that where you can ask these questions and ask literally every pitcher, hey, what have you been told? Like yeah. are you coming in? You know, it, this year we don't really know. But if I had to guess for Helsley. Probably he's already been pigeonholed into the relief relief role, kind of the way Jordan Hicks did. That like, oh, you throw one hundred and five reliever, like yeah, that's yeah. And so with with Cabrera, he's the one that I'm stumping for because every year it seems like. Got to be honest with you, for me last year, if I recall, I think it was Helsley, and I didn't I didn't get my wish. Dude can be a stud in relief. I totally get it, but I'm like maybe on this Cabrera guy, just see, just like, just wait and see, because I feel like that's what always happens for the Cardinals. And it used to be kind of different, right? Like Carlos Martinez would start in relief, but then he became a top of the line starter later on. Lance Lynn, the same thing, but it seems like in more recent years, once they've, they've gravitated those guys to relief roles in which they have thrived, it hasn't swung back the other way quite as often. I think Dakota Hudson is the one example, but in that case, it was just like they were sputtering, and so they called him up in 2018, like right after the trade deadline, to be a reliever because they just needed something to try to, you know, turn things around. I I don't know if they're going to do it with, with this next crop of guys, but I would love to see it. I agree with you totally. I like to see – give him the chance to start, and you never know. You might – because starters always are going to be more valuable than relievers. That being said – if all these guys are relievers, Cardinals are gonna have a pretty good bullpen. <laughs> I mean, it's gonna yeah. be pretty, it's gonna be pretty lights out if if all those guys are part of that mix. And Carlos Martinez could even be included in that. Uh, and I don't even know what to think about him anymore. But it, yeah. he's been good as a reliever, so if that's the route he goes, they're gonna have some firepower. Yeah, I'm pretty bullish on the pitching altogether. I know that people say that they're a starter short, but I don't know. I think they're gonna be pretty good. All right, well, let's walk through this then. Uh, again, I'm always the guy that's. I'm not saying like here's who's gonna get hurt, but somebody's gonna get hurt every year. But sure. the, uh, we can't predict who it's going to be. So we're just going to act like everybody's healthy because right now, as far as we know, they are. So Jack Ooh. Flaherty, ace caliber, absolutely. Who's your number two? Like if you're like uh, like your second best pitcher, the second most productive. Uh, I don't care what order you throw them in in a playoff series, but like who do you think is the, the second best pitcher on this staff in 2021? I would go Kim. Okay. Right and I like Kim a lot. Um, I, I was wanting him to be a starter last year. The weirdness at the beginning when he was a closer was one of the probably, I mean, in a bizarre season, that was bizarre, <laughs> but luckily it was a short stint as the closer. And then he goes to be a starter. I don't think he could possibly be as good as he was last year because being at a lot of his starts, it was like, I couldn't count the number of fly balls that almost were home runs, but somehow he just managed to keep them in. And like, that was his style and it worked because they had a good defense out there. So that's all well and good. Part, then, of the like, reason, 
Part of I still think one benefit that he's going to have is the new factor since the short season was so short last year. Yeah, hey, and he only did play at all central guys, so that helps too. Yeah. But Wainwright's in there, like that's going to be good. But then I feel like we have actual questions because Michaelis, while I think if he's healthy, that's great, there has got to be some kind of, all right, he's literally coming right off of this injury. What's that sure. going to look like? Doesn't that odor, the odor, odor easy ru- rumor tells, <laughs> tells me that Michaelis may not be ready to go at first. Well, and I don't know about that. I think I think you have to almost look at things differently this year than sure, you have sure. in past yeah. years. Like, look at the. I know that Mike Clevenger for San Diego isn't like going to pitch all year, but even without him, don't they have like seven starters? And mm-hmm. apparently, they were interested in Wainwright. Okay, they're clearly and the Dodgers do the same thing, right? They add Trevor Bauer. They've already got all these studs, and you've got like Urias and Gonsolin and Dustin May. It's like. They go eight deep, and they're comfortable with that. I think that's the model, and, and like, it helps if you've got as many young guys as they do. But hello, like with Henesis Cabrera, Alex Reyes, like the Cardinals could figure out a way to do that. I don't know if they're as as willing to, to do that because when we talked about it last year, before the season, and even in July when it was like clear that this was going to be a sprint, it was like, hey, could you, instead of having like the regular five starters and then the bullpen rolls as they normally are, could you change things up and have – guys like Cabrera and Alex Reyes be like three inning pitchers and then maybe they could start sometimes and then they in the Cardinals while they did do like a lot of one and a third one and two third kind of innings from the relievers they didn't really go the 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 bulk level with that like Madison Bumgarner in the World Series all those years ago they didn't really go crazy with it probably because they don't think it's sustainable and and, and good for the pitcher's arms whatever like I'm sure there's reasons that they they didn't really go that route but I'm I'm I just kind of wonder if there's room for that because of the way and maybe it doesn't work over 162 either. We'll have to see if the Dodgers and, you know, but clearly everybody's gearing up with all these arms and there's no such thing as too many. So I can't look at thinking about, okay, first of all, Odorizzi hasn't happened. So we'll see if it does. I think he's going to be out of their price range. Personally. I, I agree. Especially but, after seeing Arietta tonight. <laughs> yeah. And what did he get? I didn't even get to see 6.5. Yeah, so I I think in in Odorizzi might even want multiple years, and he might be able to even get it. So uh, with with the knowledge that these kind of pitchers coming off of injuries, coming off of bad seasons in 2020, are still able to get these kinds of guaranteed contracts, I think the Cardinals might be out of the running a little bit on some of those guys. But I don't necessarily think their interest in them is predicated upon something they already know something's up with one of their other pitchers like if they knew something was up with one of their pitchers they darn well better be signing one of these guys because that's when you you know when you start to feel like before you even get to spring training if these guys are hurt then that's a little bit of a concern but I think you know without knowing any in-depth detail because we haven't gotten to spring yet Michaelis could be Michaelis of 2018-2019 like it's possible that he is but he's also coming off the injury you know you don't have Hudson what is Ponce going to give you? And then suddenly you're into the guys that don't have the experience logging those kinds of innings. So I, I think – I don't even know that they're a starter short. I just I just think from a, a play defense standpoint, it'd be great to have one more, like one more veteran that you think could do the job. But if they're not going to spend $6 million on that guy, I don't know if they're going to end up getting him. Yeah, it's kind of what I thought. Whenever I saw that number tonight, honestly, when it hadn't happened by now, I didn't think it was going to. And then when I saw what he signed for today, I was like, ugh. I don't know about that. Um, and not necessarily in that starter conversation, but maybe in the um, 
bullpen in the idea that we're going to need bulk arms and, and bulk innings and things of that nature. Last year, before everything shut down, there seemed to be this dark horse idea of Zach Thompson joining the, the bullpen. Um, do you think that's possible this year? I would not be shocked if you saw Zach Thompson. No, I think it could definitely happen. I mean, the, the Cardinals historically with the college pitchers that they draft are happy mm. to see them move along quickly. So that would, that definitely wouldn't surprise me if there's a minor league season where he's able to get some, you know, s- some his footing as a professional, I, that wouldn't shock me. It probably wouldn't be till late in the season, but definitely would not be I- impossible. So when you, by saying that, if there's a minor league season, are you, see, I'm kind of in the, in the camp where I think we see Thompson and Libertor this year. Libertor would be interesting. I don't know why I think Thompson, I, we could see first. Cause yeah, I, know that's, yeah. I know that's counterproductive, counterintuitive because of the fact that Libertor has been around longer, but Libertor came out as a high schooler. Yeah. And so he's already, he hasn't had as many years of that level of competition. But again, SEC baseball, I, I get it's great. That's still not the minors. And so that's a little yeah. bit interesting. I, so I think I could see Libertor being a guy that if he's successful, they want to keep him as a starter and maybe just when they when he comes up, he's the kind of guy that would come up and, and he would take a start, you know, yeah. if and when that is needed. And they're not going to add him to the 40-man earlier than they need to unless they think he's going to stay. So that's why I think it could be a little tough for him this year. But if they if, if they like Zach Thompson and think, yeah, starter reliever, we don't really care, but we think his arm can help us, that's a guy that you're willing to add to the 40-man potentially – and it's okay if he's kind of up down for a year because you think he can actually help you win games in that role. Uh, and that's just my own personal belief that maybe they'd prefer to see Libertor just stick as a starter. That could totally be wrong. Like I have no idea. That's just sure. kind of the way I think would make sense in my head. Have you heard them speak a lot or maybe, um, maybe not on the record or whatever about what they got from the alternate camp last year, the alternate side in Springfield. I know we've, we've heard some things about, they really liked, um, you know, maybe what Nolan Gorman did and, and some of the pitchers, but you know, it's kind of, that was kind of a, a black box where stuff went in and nothing came out. Yeah. So what, what have you heard about that? Not a lot, you know, and that's kind of, it's kind of interesting too, because when we'd have these zooms, um, when they'd be with Schilt throughout the season or with Mosellock since, especially with Schilt, it was like during the season, people would ask him, you know, about this and that. And you'd have to kind of remind yourself like, hey, he's not actually there. So he <laughs> he doesn't know. Like he, he knows what he's being told. But uh, honestly, at that point in time, he had probably bigger things to worry about than the yeah. development of, of guys who are one, two, three years away. It's great that some of those prospects and, and especially the draft class got an opportunity to uh, be down there for a little while. But I don't think that there was a whole lot that he was really focused on because if those guys weren't coming up to help him in 20, he didn't really care about it then. And so there, there wasn't there wasn't a whole lot to, to glean from all of that, I don't think, uh, from what we've been told yet. But if there's an opportunity to talk to some of these guys in spring, which I don't know if that's going to be, but if there <laughs> is, that would be a great question to ask them. And I think I will do that if – that time eventually comes where, you know, we're standing across, you know, he's standing on one side of first base and, and we're all the way on the other side of the fence. And Hey, what'd you think of the alternate camp? Like, I don't know what it's going to be like, but that would be a great thing to ask because it is such a unique thing that we haven't, we haven't seen it prior to last year. And so I'm sure there are some experiences that if you could get some guys one-on-one and really dig into it could be some interesting stories that could come from that and, and to find out, you know, what actually went on down there. 
I can just see this idea of y'all yelling and as a question <laughs> getting completely warped in the process and starts answering something, you know, totally different. Yeah. So it's not ideal, but we'll, we'll, we'll make do with what we got, whatever they give us, we'll be happy. <laughs> um, to wrap up a little bit, I guess let's, uh, the some of the prediction, um, sort of you know, the Pakotas and all the uh, other things, not as excited about the Cardinals as you know the rest of us are, especially after the deal. Seeing a lot of you know, 81 and 81, third place, second place, maybe it did a, a, a dead heat with Milwaukee for the division. How much do you think that's accurate? How much do you think that that's underselling the Cardinals? Yeah, I think Pakota is underselling the Cardinals, but I mean, they do that every year. So, right. <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, listen, and, and I did like a, a podcast where I specifically dove into this and said, okay, I know they didn't play 162 last year in 2020, but their winning percentage was 517. Pakota thinks their winning percentage is going to be a shade under 500. Um, how did you get three, four wins worse or more if you, if you span that out to a 162 season? By adding Arenado, I know you lost Colton Wong, and listen, you're not going to find anybody that's a bigger proponent of the value that Wong brings to the table. But adding Arenado, if he is his bench itself, is is a plus. That's an addition, and you can put in Edmund at the second base spot. That he won't quite be what Wong was, I don't think, from a, a wins above replacement standpoint. But like he can be pretty close. Yes, you lose the Edmund role and and what he brought to the table, but a lot of the value from the admin role came at third base. You've got a pretty good third baseman now. You've got outfielders that you're ready to roll with. I think it's going to be okay. And yes, you lose Dakota Hudson, but you add Michael as potentially. So I don't know if that's kind of a wash and you're okay with it. Um, I think the bullpen is going to be totally dynamite. I think when you dig into the numbers on Pakoda, for one, Yachty wasn't factored into that yet, but his wins above replacement the last two years has only been 1.7 combined. So it's not like he's making a huge dent probably for the analytics community that's that's coming up with those kinds of projections. So I, I just don't, it just doesn't really jibe with me that they're going to be worse in the third or whatever best team in the division that they said, I think, what did they say for the Cubs? I think like 85 wins, like I could see that. And if Arietta somehow is like vintage or something, I don't think that's probably going to happen, but if it's somehow pretty serviceable, like they could absolutely be mid eighties and wins if they don't sell it all at the deadline or something. Uh, the Brewers are, I think, probably the most fascinating team because it always feels like they have no starting pitching. But then, mm-hmm. like, now they they do. Like, we have to consider Brandon Woodruff good because he's pitching really well. Like, some of the names that they've got in their rotation, like, okay, they're actually – they've got some pieces here to work with. Uh, but what are they going to do offensively? Like, they're going to look different. I just – 89, the fact that you can look at the two rosters and come up with that big of a gap between the Brewers and the Cardinals and have the Brewers be the one favored, I – I don't really know where they come up with that, but I, I think the Brewers are an above 500 team. I think the Cubs are an above 500 team, and we'll see about the Reds where they land. Uh, and, and the Pirates might win a game this year. I don't know, maybe a couple. <laughs> well, it remains to be seen. But yeah, I, I'm definitely not buying into that the Cardinals are going to have their first losing season since whatever uh, after adding Nolan Arenado. I don't think that's the case. Maybe that the difference in the division is who loses the fewest games to to Pittsburgh. Yeah, if you if you I mean normally they play like what 18 or 19 games against everybody in the division. So if you only go 500 against the Pirates, that that's a significant opportunity that you're wasting because you should yeah. be able to win like 15 of those games. That's that's Alan, you got anything before we wrap it? Uh what uh when do you start looking at your uh, reservations and everything for spring? 
Oh man, it's been a, a, a hectic and happening couple of days on that front. I figured it had been. I think I think I am really closing in. I'm not going to say anything specific regarding dates yet, just because I don't want to yeah. jinx myself. But I think it's <laughs> I think it's going to be that I'm going to be able to get there uh, by the start of full squad workouts, which is the first time that any media can even Perfect. be involved in any capacity. So I'm hopeful that that's going to be the case and. And hopefully within the next couple of days, things get finalized. And we'll hear from the Cardinals specifically, like, here's the protocols. Here's what we're, we're going to need from you. And I'll be excited and ready to comply with whatever they need so that we can get down there and, and get out of zero degrees. Good deal. <laughs> yeah. Do you usually stay the whole time or, or are you just there part of the time? I, I am probably not going to stay the entire time. Someday that would be great. I keep telling my wife, like, the dream is, you know, get a, get a place down there to where once, like, New Year's happens – like the holidays are over, just go to Florida, go down to Jupiter. And then like once the baseball season starts, then it's safe to return to Missouri. So like, that's the dream. But for right now, that's a lot of time to be away. And so uh, with my wife having a, a job that she has to stay here for, it's kind of tricky. So I usually, I, last year, I think I did three weeks. I'm hoping to do maybe close to that this year, but uh, still a little bit TBD. I've been just surprised. I figured she was pushing you to be gone the whole That's time. That's right. Yep. You had to get one dig in before we got out of here. I've been an hour. I opened, I opened up with talking about taking my shirt off and, and the, the Kyle plan. And then you're, you're thinking, all right, there's going to be an opportunity. I'm going to get one in. So credit to you. You got it in. <laughs> Randy, we thank you for joining us. Look forward to seeing what you're coming out with uh, during spring training. And uh, we'll do it again sometime. Absolutely, guys. Thanks for having me tonight. All right. Um, for Alan, I'm Daniel. Good night. Good night.